Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, The Future is Fluid, we are joined by Samantha Fisher, Head of Dynamic Work at Okta, and Drew Susco, Workplace Market Leader at BHDP. As trends in technology continue to erode the traditional boundaries of the workplace, one thing has become clear, the future is fluid. By prioritizing employee experience, emphasizing organizational culture, and delivering business value, learn how Sam and her team are building a smart, connected, and distributed team capable of tackling the challenges of 21st century work. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. I'm Sam Fisher. I lead dynamic work at Okta, which effectively means I, in partnership with a number of cross-functional teams, primarily in our HR organization, really look at employee experience and equity and how work gets done for our organization in that transition from a predominantly traditional in-office culture to a distributed culture that leverages both an office culture as well as a virtual culture. Gotcha. And that's one of the things we want to dig into a little bit today. So I'm glad you brought that up. But what is Okta? Because I hadn't heard of it before I talked to you. So what do you do? We are an access identity company. And we came from a vision around flexibility and choice around the technology that organizations use and enabling that so that organizations in their interactions and transactions with their clients and their customers and um, their workforce can really be super enabled and supercharged regardless of what technology that they're using. And so think of Okta and the platform and the technology that we offer as a bit of a gateway. It's the gateway between knowing that I'm Sam Fisher and telling people that I'm Sam Fisher, right? There's a security component in that and it's the front door and only I get to unlock the door and only I get to say, who gets to know that I'm Sam Fisher? And yeah. it works both in the in a workplace, right? We have we have a workforce version, and we also have a customer version of it as well. This, I get it. That's perfect. Drew, who are you, and uh, what do you do? So Drew Susco, an architect, workplace strategist, and market leader for the workplace design team at BHDP. I tend to say that my job is to construct bridges between corporate strategy and workplace design. So touching on lots of things that Sam also mentioned, workplace experience and corporate culture and the intersection between those things, which has shifted a little bit. I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time, quite frankly, to be in workplace strategy and design, even though there's a ton of uncertainty out there. So really excited for the conversation today. Sure. And it feels like one of those once in a lifetime shifts in workplace. And a lot of what you're focused on, Sam, has been brought to the forefront. Employee experience, equity, certainly just within the past year has really been a hot button, I should say, as it should have been for a long time. Suddenly we're paying more attention to it. That's clearly a conversation that is being had pretty ubiquitously across every organization, no matter the size, big, small industry, no matter what it is, that conversation is happening. And I, I'm sure Drew can probably agree with me, you know, this concept of flexible work, activity-based settings, the office is really there to help promote connection and culture has really been a conversation that has floated around in the workplace strategy realm for probably 10 plus years. It's really taken a forcing mechanism, which has been the pandemic, 
to really have leaders look at it in a different light from what it was traditionally, which was around either I want to maintain productivity during downtime because people have personal lives, right? Remember the time when your cable guy used to take five hours or appliance delivery was a whole day? Well, organizations don't want to lose a whole day of productivity because you happen to be working in an office. So that was an impetus. Another impetus that I know of was organizations that had really key talent that was super strategic or very important to the organization. And they didn't want to lose that talent. And that talent might be moving somewhere or might be located somewhere else. So it was always a periphery acceptance or periphery decision. It was not one that many leaders or organizations thought about ubiquitously for their entire organization. You don't have a choice but to think about it now. And what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your organization? What does that mean for your talent strategies? How are you going to get work done? How are you going to service clients? How are you going to provide services to partners? All of those things have to be considered and decisioned now because the forcing mechanism is the pandemic and the shift for talent, which there's been a war for talent, particularly in the knowledge worker industry and even more deeply in tech, which is what I'm representing, has been going on for years. And now that pendulum of autonomy and accountability and to some degree power is really in the hands of the workers. You can't walk yourself back from a place where everybody works from home unless you're willing to take some pretty sizable hits to probably your workforce if you're going to go all the way back to the office. Now people are trying to figure out on this continuum of I'm a fully in-office culture to I'm a fully remote culture and workplace, what am I? And what does that mean for me and my organization and, and how we get work done? If I could jump in, Sam, I think one of the questions that a lot of our clients have, and I know that you're grappling with this at Okta in a a meaningful way, is exactly what you described, which is that pendulum swing and striking the right balance between an in-person culture and a remote culture and fostering something in between the two. I would be really curious to hear your thoughts on maybe best practices or some lessons learned. You know, you mentioned that many organizations had been on this journey and the pandemic just accelerated us, right? It just forced us into the future. And and in many ways, there is no going back. So it's really funny that we talk about return to office. Well, we can't return to that. There's no going back. We just have to move forward in a new and exciting way. So what advice would you give for leaders who are grappling with striking that right balance between a, a remote workforce and an in-person workforce in the future? There's actually a couple things, and I've been fortunate to work for organizations before I came to Okta that had done some of these things, and I was able to bring those with me. But I think the primary things that organizations really need to think about is, number one, what do your people want? And again, that's not to say that organizations don't have their own sense of purpose and leaders don't have a perspective around how does our organization have to operate but your organization is only as good as your people, right? They're your number one asset, no matter what you put out to clients, no matter what services you provide to partners. At the end of the day, your people are your number one asset. And so if they're not engaged, if they don't feel like they have value and purpose or they're not connected to the organization, you're going to be in this constant state of bringing people back in and and getting them back into the organization and teaching them and getting them up to speed and, and getting yourself productive again. And so, First and foremost, every organization has to at least ask what employees want. That doesn't mean you have to necessarily meet them at 100%, but you have to know what they want so you can figure out where you fit in that space. For leaders, that means that there will be a compromise in that one way or the other, and you have to know what that looks like. The second step is then figuring out what is your action plan? What kind of culture do you want to be based on feedback, based on your industry, based on 
things that are relative to your organization, your business. The third thing in that space is really, you have to think about your technology tools. I think you can look at a lot of organizations and see that their investment in technology tools to support a distributed or dynamic workforce is really underinvested in. Their network is underinvested in. The technology that people actually have access to at home is underinvested in. Um, the collaboration tools and the processes for how you use the collaboration tools could be underinvested in. Without that infrastructure, and I think that's even more challenging for either very mature organizations or sometimes startups, because you have two different pendulums there. Very mature organizations are invested. They've got a lot of money invested in all these things. A lot of times it's a suite of products. So trying to unwind that to use the best products is difficult. And then in startup, you don't always have the capital to make that investment. But you have to, again, look at what you have, look at how it's gonna support your workforce and where do you need to be invested at? And you've gotta make that a priority. I always laugh. Technology is one of those things where we always talk about it in every organization, but because it is not revenue generating, it's always a top of house cost. It generally takes a haircut. Almost in every organization I've ever worked in, it takes a haircut. And when everybody's working in person, that haircut probably won't feel as impactful. When everybody's working virtually and technology is your link by which everything happens, that feels a lot different. And then the last thing I would say is, what I like to call layering of programs. In a distributed environment, you have individuals, you have teams, you have markets, you have countries, you have this layering effect of where people are physically and from a geographical perspective. And so when you decide to have a distributed workforce and your technology is there to enable it, you have to think about your programs and your services and the things you enable your organization with on that spectrum. Because individuals need something, teams need something, markets need something, nationalities need something. And you have to think about all of those things relative to each other for how you do it. If you only make national level programs, people in either other countries or even at the smaller market geography or at an even smaller team level where they might just have a, a group of five or seven individuals that happen to live in a similar market, they don't feel connected. And so, it's a layered approach for how you think about that equity and investment and connection for employees when you're in a distributed environment. So what I heard from that, the big four, find out what people want to understand what your action plan is. What kind of culture is it that you're trying to build? Three, make sure you've invested in the tools and technology. And I, I believe it was you that I was speaking to before where you said technology is an enabler, but not always the solution. And people Correct. like depend on technology to fix all the problems, but it's really just an infrastructure, right? And I also heard the phrase, not all home offices are created equal. And that was something that was pretty telling. And then fourth is that that layering of programs. And that's where I think it starts to get into the culture a little bit because you talk about people being in different places, it could be a different country, feeling like part of the team, it requires a new muscle, right? A new type of cultural thing. So right now we're all in different places. And so that's pretty easy. But if some of us were in the same place and then the rest in other places, that's a different kind of thing. Have you experienced that through your working, through layering with what you're doing at Okta? We have. Yeah. And it's in two parts. The first part is how the actual work gets done and the collaboration and the communication happens. And then the second part is the cultural fit. How do I feel connected to the organization? Does the organization understand 
the cultural, geographical series of life events that is going on for me? And are they invested in that space? It is a new muscle for most organizations. And candidly, it's a new muscle for most leaders. That's the tipping point. And people that will be successful, I think, are those ones where your leaders can make that transition if they haven't managed distributed teams before. When you talk about building a new muscle, it's not even that it atrophied. It's that most people didn't actually build it to begin with. They didn't even know that it existed. I mean, you've been doing this for a while now, leading distributed teams. I wonder if you have some advice for those leaders who are kind of stepping into this brave new world without the the muscle memory that maybe you've built up over time. And what are the two or three things you've just learned based on your experience about leading a distributed team that you might impart upon someone who's just getting started? Over-communicate, number one. It just is. And that's true for any distributed team, but it's definitely true as a leader of a distributed team and transparency, because transparency leads to trust. And that's a critical element of a distributed team. If you don't trust the people that they're doing the work that they say that they're doing, or you're enabling them to do in an autonomous way, and they don't trust that you as their manager aren't gonna micromanage them to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, maybe they're not working a linear workday. In the morning, they have to take care of their kids and they work for a few hours and then they have another personal need and then they work for a few more hours and then something else happens. That's the beauty and the hardest part of managing distributed teams, particularly when you're talking time zone. Distributed in the effect of where you're all in the same time zone or honestly, even in the all same country is a little bit easier. When you're managing a global team, that's where that really comes into. That's some pretty good advice right there. I had an anecdotal story where we had an office lunch in our office yesterday, and one of the presenters said, show of hands, and he asked a question. And I was like, you just eliminated everyone that's not in the room from being able to participate in that fun little experiment. And it was just one of those things you didn't think about before because you were used to people being there. But we should have been used to it because we always have multiple offices calling into that, even you know pre-pandemic. So maybe it's a muscle that we never thought about before until now, and maybe we're more aware of it in our own environment. I would agree with that. Drew, you asked me specifically some things that I do or that I think about. and the overarching sort of philosophy for that for me is intentionality. You have to intentionally over-communicate. What you think you're over-communicating is probably not enough. If you think that you're being transparent, it's probably not enough. There is that intentionality and taking a step back from what you think is good enough to what do your people think is good enough or not even good enough, but what is good for them? What does success look like for them? It is just a different way of leading and managing people. But you have to think about it before you get into that moment. Because once you're in the moment and you say, everybody raise your hand, it's gone, right? And each time that happens, even unintentionally, it begins to erode that trust, which will then impact transparency and impact communication and impact performance and all of those other great things that you want as a high-performing team. Fantastic point. Yeah, we often talk about intentionality and it reminds me of the phrase, make the plan, work the plan. And that's an act of design, honestly. Creating that plan and then working the plan that you create is an act of design. I've been thinking a lot lately about another another uh, phrase or another kind of parable. Um, the idea that, you know, we don't rise to the level of our aspirations, we fall to the level of our systems. You know, and you mentioned that technology is kind of this catch-all specter out there, I guess, maybe is the right way to think about it, right? People point to technology as the solution rather than the truly the system that enables. It does beg the question in my mind's eye, 
what about the workplace? You know, as a, an organization, right, it's really truly embraced distributed work and, and it's been successful as a result of that model. I mean, I, I believe Okta's not got rid of their workplace environments entirely. In fact, they're, they're playing a different role for you now. Is that true? That is true. They're playing a different role to connect our community and connect our culture. We're not reducing real estate. We're maintaining what we have. We may look at a different style of it, maybe a smaller footprint from a portfolio perspective, and it's more boutique style, but we're actually expanding because we believe that the workplace does play a very critical role in the connected tissue of the organization. Todd came out, our CEO, a couple weeks ago, or, or maybe as much as a month ago, and made a comment. He had a series of tweets that really talked about the transition and the transformation of what we believe the office is going to do for our organization. And it's not the place that you go in to put your head down and crank out eight hours worth of work. It's the place that you go and meet a new coworker. It's the place that you go and have a coffee. It was such a crazy thing. We had this epiphany while we're having this conversation of like, what if we had this technology, again, to the point of technology being an enabler, that could say, hey, the three of you all are in different places. The most equitable place for you to meet so nobody has to travel more than the other person is blank. We sort of figured that out in our own conversations, but that happened in person because we realized as we were sitting there brainstorming as a team talking about what our strategy is going to be, we're like, hey, this kind of worked out for us because there's only three of us and we sort of talked about it. But what if we had a team of like five or six or seven people? Then someone's got to figure out the time frame or whatever. So that's the kind of stuff that we really think the office is for. And that's not to say, because I want to be really clear, I think sometimes people say, oh, we want to have an office and they couch it in the perspective of because that's where innovation happens or that's where ideation or collaboration. Those things can happen virtually. There is a natural synergy and organicness of conversation that happens when you're in person with people. And that is what we believe the office continues to provide. That doesn't mean you can't be productive at home or wherever you happen to work. That doesn't mean you can't collaborate. That doesn't mean you can't have great ideas, but that sort of natural, almost like a synapse reacts, right? Like I say something and someone else says something and someone else says something that build, that just happens more naturally when you're together and more organically. And yeah, so freestyling. We, perfect. That's exactly what it is. It's freestyling. My son likes to skateboard. You know, I'm riding the rail. Someone else is jumping the steps, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, That's he throws down a pop shove it while you're doing a kickflip, and it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Dude, I'm so impressed that you know all those. Like, do you, know you want me to go get my stick? I got a board in the back. No, <laughs> no. Like, I'm so – he told me – when he told me about a pop shove it the first time, I'm like, what is this thing? This is crazy. But that's what happens. That's such a great word, Drew, and I don't know that people are thinking about it like that. It's freestyling, right? And so when that happens – you get so much ideation that happens from those things. And that's what we believe the office will continue to enable and support. Yeah, all good nuggets. I was interested too, because what I'm starting to hear is like a purpose driven. So I, I know a lot of the rationale around bringing people to the office is the idea around ad hoc interactions, right? You get all these ad hoc interactions all day long, but I'm curious, like how many of those are actually productive? How many are, are disruptive? Is there something to be said about the intentional ad hoc interaction, like you scheduled a meeting with your team and it happened because you were there to do that as opposed to, you know, how, how many times in a day is it actually helpful? Yeah, I would offer potentially none of them are, are productive. All of them are disruptive. 
and all of them are beneficial too. <laughs> so I, I yeah. think it just requires us to rethink the value of our social interactions. I don't know, Brian, we've been talking a lot lately about social capital, and that's built over time. Sam, you mentioned trust, right? Trust is the currency of social capital. It takes a long time to accrue. And there's actually really good research right now around weak bonds in organizations, right? So those social interactions, those little ad hoc, you know, bump in, how you doing, how was the weekend, et cetera. I mean, those things actually have a tremendous value in all sorts of social systems, workplaces being the one we tend to talk about. And there's good research saying that, that those weak bonds are eroding as a result of distributed work or remote work. And so back to intentionality, that's not to say that they can't be fostered, but it is to say that you got to have a top of mind, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Brian, you and I have both worked remotely for years and years and years years in different capacities. And it is very challenging to build relationships with people that you don't frequently interact with. And I'm, I'm hearing, Sam, that that is top of mind for you when you think about your distributed teams, maybe even extending beyond those folks that you primarily interact with. Do you have any tips for people that might be struggling with a similar challenge there? I mean, do you set reminders yeah. for yourself, for example? Or I mean, do you go so far as to be pretty tactical with it? Or are you... I know that there are some organizations that are beginning to adopt analytical platforms, for for example, where it's giving suggestions for, hey, it's been six weeks since you talked to so-and-so, and maybe it's time for a reach out. So one, I would 100% agree with you that the weaker networks, just people in general, even outside of work, your weaker networks are eroding, and they're eroding faster than you're strengthening your strong ones. And that's a challenge for a lot of reasons. I believe that exactly to what Drew said, every interaction is beneficial, whether it's intentional, whether it's not, whether it's just because you meet a new person and they expand your perspective about something, or you meet someone in an organization that you have never worked with before and they give you an idea for something that you would never even considered, or it's just feels good. Like, I mean, I, I can't say that, right? I mean, when I worked in an office regularly for a previous employer, I'd been there for a really long time. I knew most everybody and I couldn't walk across campus without someone being like, hey, Sam, what's going on? And like, there's just something about that, at least for me, that's very familial. It feels very familial. I'm part of a family. These people care about me. I feel invested in, I'm invested in them, right? That's, that's how that felt to me. My tactics for how I do that are probably less prescriptive than some of the other ones I've given you guys on the call. And it's more of knowing I haven't built that yet here. And candidly, because I've only ever worked virtually with Okta, it's harder. It does require you to be invested in building that. One of the ways that we do it here that's actually worked really well is through Slack. So Slack has a couple of different features where they will connect you with other people in the organization, not necessarily even anyone in your department. So I talked with a guy from engineering like two months ago, I talked with a gentleman from customer success last week. And I was like, so what does this mean? Tell me how this works. And so I'm expanding my knowledge in how the organization and the business works. And I'm meeting somebody new who, when I have a question about how a program or a service or something I'm designing might land with that organization, I can reach out to him and ask him and get his perspective. Even for someone like me who's been doing a lot of this for a long time, I'm lifting the 20 pound dumbbell, making that muscle bigger, right? So I can imagine for people who have not ever done it, it can feel isolating. And you just have to be vulnerable and reach out to people and know that they're gonna be vulnerable back with you. And if you wanna have a conversation with them, make the offer. 
That's very cool. I know one of the practices we've done in, we have smaller teams at work and we have returned to the office to a certain degree. And they had a meeting where most of the team was in the office. So they all went into a conference room together, but two of us were remote. So everybody turned their camera on. And what that did was it created that digital equity that you have from everybody being the same size square, as opposed to us looking into the room and then my head being four feet wide on a screen, you know, and just feeling like, oh, they're just looking at everything that I'm doing right now. So it was nice because that was just a bit of a way to do it. But I'm curious too, I wanna go back to something. You said that Okta is not reducing real estate and in some cases actually growing. So I wanted to know then, what is the business case for having a distributed team? Because a lot of organizations are looking at this hybrid workplace thinking, oh, we could reduce, we could save a lot of capital spend, but you're doing the opposite. So I can answer that in two parts. First, our business case for distributed is talent. And my guess is for most organizations, that will be their business case. You get a deeper, richer, broader talent pool because you can source across the entire globe. The other part of that is organizations, you know, Octus 13, so we're not as mature or we haven't been around as long as some of these other organizations have that, you know, they're thinking about that they can reduce their footprint. And they probably can because they've invested in millions and millions and millions of square feet and big, large corporate campuses. And now they're trying to figure out what they can do. I mean, real estate can account for as much as 30% of your P&L in an organization. That's a pretty sizable chunk when it's not a revenue generating function. For CFOs and CEOs and things like that that are looking at that, it's a pretty appetizing and really enhancing kind of feature of I can reduce my P&L by this much. It's what do you reinvest that money in? I think a lot of people will ask questions about. For us, the distributed function is really about talent. As an organization, if you look at that from a talent perspective and you've now got talent all over the globe and you build in the right processes to work asynchronously, a great outcome of that is effectively a 24-hour operation. Many organizations, that's not their goal, but that is an unanticipated benefit of having talent basically working 24 hours a day because you're all over the globe. Yeah, that is a pretty significant advantage. Um, And thanks for that, by the way, Sam. And I wanted to say too, though, then going back again, again, how might organizations take advantage of this distributed team? So, you know, they can increase the talent, but when you're talking about people on other sides of the globe, maybe in different time zones, what are some of the key successes or things that you've struggled with on maintaining like a cohesive culture? Because with Okta being new, I'm sure it's still establishing what that culture may be, or maybe you've decided already. So one of the things that we do that Todd started even before our IPO is we, right now, we continue to do weekly all hands. So every Friday, we have an all hands. Our leaders are on it. We're presenting information about what's going on in the organization. Uh, We are in the process of looking for technologies that pull the teams together that is persona-based and geolocation-based. So people will see this is what is going on in the organization that's impacting me. Here's the things that I need to know about that's impacting me from my geo or where I am in my life cycle of being an employee. Uh, We continue to do onboarding, which every organization does, but we're blowing that out to be a year-long journey for employees. You know, we used to do two days and everybody came in. And if you're sitting in a room, 
and you're basically getting a ton of information over two days, it's a little bit easier to and palatable to consume because you're sitting there with people and you're having conversations and you're having breaks and this, that, and the other thing. That's a whole different scenario when you're asking people to do that on Zoom, right? That's a very different scenario. And so, you know, we're going to continue to have our first couple days that will be, hey, here's the nuts and bolts of what you need to do to get up and get started at ACTA. And then we're going to have this year-long journey that has touch points at very intentional places of the journey for employees that ties them to the culture, ties them to events and employee programs that they have access to. It's intended to be more of a dribble rather than a fire hose. When you drink from the fire hose, you get about 10% of it and the rest of it all goes on the other side of your face. So the intent behind that is we will provide material and information to employees as their journey of being an octonaut progresses in by doing it that way and providing that transparency and that connection, it continues to strengthen and tighten the community and the culture. And they'll continue to have office locations. So we'll have entire programs that are about what are we going to do if you if you want to come into the office as a team? What cool things can we offer you instead of like your whole team coming in and sitting at their desk and doing a bunch of work? Like, let's have some cool things to do. And then what can we enable or offer to you as a team if you're virtual and you want to do something virtually, right? Because we're not going to have a situation where we have all these things in the office and nothing happens for out of the office. It's an equity platform of we might have a speaker series happening in the office. And oh, by the way, we might have an Octa for Good event happening outside of the office. And you as a team get to choose which one you want to do. That's the cultural component. And it's hard to explain that because culture is such a big ubiquitous umbrella. It's all these little things that we're thinking about that's along the life cycle of the journey for an octonaut, whether you're a two-week-old employee, a two-year-old employee, or a 20-year employee that is going to tighten in that weave of our culture and our community and keep everybody really feeling invested in from that perspective. It's like a transition away from onboarding to like equipping to some degree. You said journey and persona. I know Brian and I both smiled um, because those are, you know, design thinking terms that we rely on pretty frequently, right? As we do our work, you're taking the fire hose and converting it into a camelback. Right, you're giving people that as a resource to help them over the course of their journey into the organization as opposed to just getting on the, a moving train, right? Right. How long has Okta been working with a distributed workforce? We started talking about dynamic work probably at the end of 2018. I was not part of the organization yet. My guess is Armin Vartanian, who's our Senior Vice President of Global Workplace Services, started to see some of the challenges that we were struggling with as a technology company, some of it based on geolocation, things like that. And the real conversation around it with our leadership started, really kind of manifested itself in 2019. Do you have any though lessons learned? So, so you've been doing this for a while. COVID was a catalyst for you. It was something you were already thinking about. You were working through that process. As it accelerated, were there any watchouts, maybe things that you learned, things that worked really well? Like what advice might you give to somebody else who's thinking about it and doesn't know how to get started? So we talked about a couple things, right? How to get started. It was the four that we talked about. Listen to your employees, have the right infrastructure, have an action plan, and then think about programs and services at a layered level. The other watch out that we're seeing right now is the impact of COVID on distributed work, particularly in organizations and in, that believe the office still serves a purpose. 
is really fundamentally changing that because people are getting very comfortable and I work from home every day. Now you have a whole new set of barriers that you have to overcome for people to want to come to the office, whether that's health and safety, right? That's a primary one. You've got personal obligations. I mean, what was the stats? I can't even remember of how many people got dogs during the pandemic, right? You don't necessarily think about that, but now they have a dog. And so what are you going to do with your dog during the day? You sat at home with them for nine months, right? You could take them out. If they were puppies, you took care of it, right? We're laughing. And that seems very silly, but every person has these series of questions and answers and this internal analytical process, gap process, whatever you want to call it, that they go through for every decision that they make. And the office is no different, right? How you want to work is no different. And so I think for organizations that are thinking about how do I enable a distributed workforce that is ultimately both office and virtual, right? If you're on, if you're on the two other ends of the pendulum, you're always, everybody's coming back or no one's coming back. It's easier because those internal decisions and the checks and balances or the, I have to make this compromise or this compromise for every individual employee isn't necessarily happening. It's already happened at the macro level, right? If, if organizations say, everybody's got to come back. There's people that are like, I'm not going to stay there because that's not the kind of environment I want. Or you have people that are saying, everybody can work virtually. Same thing. You have people that are like, ah, I want engagement. For organizations that are thinking about a dynamic environment like ours is, you have to consider the fact that the longer we all stay at home, the harder it is to overcome those barriers. And so again, that back to the concept of intentionality, you have to think about what are the trade-offs that they're making in their mind? Maybe they started an exercise routine and that extra 40 minutes or 50 minutes now they have to spend in their car. That's the aha for us right now is not everybody thinks the same. And some people are very comfortable working from home and they don't necessarily feel a perspective of coming back into the office. How do we help them overcome those barriers? Some of that comes to the services and programs that you offer. Some of that comes to the, how you think about what the purpose of the office is. And some of that just comes down to what are the equity of experiences across the two different environments. It just reminds me of a conversation I had recently where someone mentioned that the role of the workplace moving forward is not to necessarily enable in-person work, but to supplement remote work. So I don't think this is going away. And for many organizations, was the the reality of the workplace for the long haul. And that's not a COVID reference, by the way. That's a, just the reference to the fact that we can't go back. The more complex the world gets, the more interconnected the world becomes, the more we recognize that talent resides everywhere. If it makes sense for the business to tap into the distributed talent, then the workplace is going to have to dramatically shift to support work. Those barriers to, to, I don't want to say reentry, because again, that feels like outmoded thinking, right? Those, the things that are keeping us home could be viewed positively, right? I mean, we had, you know, there were organizations, right? There were had bring your dog to work day. There were organizations that had on-site gyms and things of that nature because we recognize that there is really no hard and fast line between work and life. That's also eroded as a result, I think, of the pandemic or was accelerated because of the pandemic because some of those movements were already in place. So to me, it speaks to humanizing the entire lived experience and recognizing that you know work is important, obviously, uh, because it provides livelihood for everyone. 
everything is on the table, I guess, is why I said at the beginning, this is a really exciting time for workplace strategists and designers. I will say that the challenging thing is I think the funding models need to catch up. You know, the way that we had historically funded investments in workplace experience was through lease expirations or through, you know, the intentional use of capital to build new spaces. And now it feels like that model might be a little bit outmoded, might be that continuous investment and thinking through technology, people, et cetera, as true investments and true resources to be capitalized is a different way of thinking than historically we've treated those expense categories in most business, you know, in P&Ls. That whole funding question, we could have a whole other podcast about, right? And have a, because it, it is in some ways antiquated and not prepared for what's coming. The concept of the distributed work model and investing in people, managing performance differently, training, learning and development, that is different in this environment. To go back to the point around the barriers, I always like to come back to humans are creatures of habit. And so we had a habit before COVID where we all got up, we went into the office, we found ways to utilize office environments and office amenities because it fit into our life. We've all built a different set of habits now in the last nine or 10 months. And so just like every habit, you have to find ways to incentivize you or give you an option that's better, ultimately ends in a better outcome. If you think about your workforce as people and humans and what are the behaviors of humans and really that's what we should think about in every instance we don't always do it i don't do it all the time when we think about design we think about it from a humanistic design when we think about services we think about what does that mean in relationship exchange everything has got a human lens to it and so that's the one thing i will leave with everyone is you can take all the stuff i told you today if you don't think about your people as humans, and I'm not saying that you have to do exactly what they want or there's not gonna be some compromise or people won't be disappointed, but if you think about your workforce as humans and what are the behaviors of humans and how do we help those behaviors change, you'll already be a step ahead of probably your competitor. Sam, that was fantastic. I can't think of any better thought to leave us with. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you, Drew. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, The Future is Fluid, with Samantha Fisher, Head of Dynamic Work at Okta, and Drew Susco, Workplace Market Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.